Welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for another Women's World Cup preview episode and today we are sinking our teeth into Group F. So this is the group of France, Brazil, Jamaica and Panama. So very interesting group on paper. And we're looking forward to diving into one of these teams in particular. But before we begin the chat, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So for today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis, Angela Christian Wilkes, and ESPN FC's Julian Laurent. So Julian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very honoured and privileged. We're so excited to talk to you about this France team in particular because they're one of the talking points in the story seemingly of every World Cup. But for this one in particular, we've got to start the conversation with what are the expectations of this France team and have they changed since the big coaching change earlier this year? I mean, the, the objective is the semi-final. This is why the um, the head of the, the new head of the federation, uh, I think Gavi Renard as well, and the the players have in mind is at least making to the last four. We we saw that at the Euros, the, the, the glass ceiling of the quarterfinals was finally broken and they just made it and then they, they fell short a little bit. But I think that's the idea. I'm not sure if things have changed since the, the new manager came in and since David Renard came in because he doesn't really have any experience in the women's game to start with. Uh, and because he didn't have much time to work on really before the start of the World Cup. So he would have good time now before the start of the competition he had a one international break already he had a couple of friendlies that kind of things but it's not ideal when you face the teams that France can pot- potentially face in the quarterfinals semi-final etc so I think semi-final is a, is a fair objective I think it's a fair ambition I think they can do it after that it depends who you face it depends the kind of momentum you have and your best players you're being for or not but I think semis semis would be, um, would be a, a, a good result over this World Cup um, Julian, it's unfortunately, it seems to be a question that we're having to ask um, our guys from Spain, our guys from Canada, and you're going to get this one as well. Can you give uh, our listeners who maybe aren't up to date fully with French football, the maybe the abridged version of what happened with French football, what happened with uh, Corinne Diacre, and I guess where are things at, at now? Yeah, so Corinne Diacre was eventually, I say eventually because I think it was a long time coming, but she was eventually, eventually sacked. Because simply because the, I mean this is and this is you mentioned Spain. This is something that we've seen in a, in a similar way in Spain. But the players didn't want her anymore. They didn't want to play for her anymore. There was a, a rebellion, which for the French is completely normal, you know. But rebellion against her within the camp, within the dressing room, she's crazy. It's basically some of the key players, but talking about talking on behalf of the rest of the squad, we're like, okay, it's easy. It's either her. Or us, if she stays, we're not going to play. And when you know, when Renard, Amandine Henry, and Katoto and Diani, and Yoro and all the others saying that to the head of the French Federation, you have to listen. And I'm never too keen on on players' power usually, and that I don't think it's very healthy in general. But in that case, I can understand. Wh- I can understand where the girls were coming from. It's been a long time since Diag started. You've had ups and downs. You had highs and lows. She mentioned the result, and I think she had 71% or 72% uh, win success rate. I said, okay, I think a lot of us with such a talented team would have had a really high 
win rates as well because they were just very good in a lot of games. And but then when it mattered the most, there was not enough tactics. She was not good enough, I thought. And and more importantly, the relationship with the dressing room and the players was not good enough. So that's why they didn't want her anymore. I think the federation was put in a very difficult position. And they did they did the right thing, which was getting rid of her, really. And I know it's brutal and I know it's harsh. And again, I, I don't think that players should run their team like that. But it was inevitable. And then Hervé Renard came. I think he was probably the best choice, even if he didn't have... If, if it, I think he was the best choice, even if he doesn't have any experience in women's football before. But he's a smart guy and I, and I think he, he would do a good, a good job. Even though he's only been in the role for a couple of months, have you noticed that there has been a, a cultural shift amongst the playing group? We've seen a number of veteran players called back into the squad. Amandine Henri famously was on yeah. the outer with Corinne Diacre. What's the vibe and the feeling amongst the playing group now? You know, the mood has changed so dramatically. I mean, one of my front players in that team, I can't really say who, but she was saying like, you. it was literally night and day. And now, you know, he's a really, if you move away from the tight shirt and the abs and everything and the good looks, he's such, he's got that energy and he's got that smile all the time and he's got, you know, really, really white teeth. But they, and then, you know, if you go to that, and really, I, I, I've got it, nothing against Covendiak, nothing at all, but she's the complete opposite. She never smiles. Whether it's in public or in private, she never smiles. She looks quite austere. And and just that, just to open the door at Clairefontaine, going in and having an Hervé Renard full of smile. Full of, and of course, it's just it's just arrived. So it, it can't be miserable after it's just arrived. However, that the contrast with what Diag was, not just towards the end of the tenure, but through the whole six or seven years, whatever, was just striking apparently. And I think, you know, players, human beings in general, respond well to that. And that was massive, just that. Then on the football pitch, we will have to wait a bit and see how he plays and and what we see. But what I like is that he gave a chance to Amraoui, for example, which was after what happened at PSG with Diallo and etc., which was not given. And yeah, he wanted to see her. He gave her a chance. In the end, she's not in the squad and she was pretty annoyed by it. But it's fair enough. He saw her. Then he made his mind up. For Amandine Henry, you're right. It's, it's a little bit different because I think he had, from the beginning, he, he wanted to bring the leaders back in. But yeah, for me, the most important change was the mood. And uh, suddenly those players went in a, an environment where before it was just very, I think austere is a really good word. And then suddenly now it's all bright smile, energy, just all those positive vibes that on our brain that Yag didn't bring it all anymore. Are the indications that we're going to see a similar style of play to what we saw with Saudi Arabia? Because Renault had a really, he had a great run with them. Obviously, we know there's the Argentina run, but we see a lot of them because they play the Socceroos quite regularly yeah. as well. Um, is that been the impression he's going to bring that sort of style that sort of captivated people a bit, especially early at the World Cup? Yeah, I think I, I think this is the idea. He's, he knows that you know things tactically might be a little bit different because he doesn't have the same players at Saudi, for example, but. Ideally, I think he wants to play a defensive high line as much as possible. And I know Renard is not the quickest, of course, and Embok is not there. So again, that's which is maybe a blow, maybe not. But I think that's the idea. I think he wants quite a lot of intensity and certainly he will work them really hard. Now, in the first few, so they met last week for the kind of um, like free workup camps, that's how you say in English. So I think he's got to work them really, really hard because he wants to fit their up. 
this is what a lot of new managers say at club level as well. Oh, but my players are not fit. I don't know why the, the former manager did, but they're not fit enough. But I think that was also something that I pointed out. So he's got to work them hard. He wants that kind of intensity. And then the big question mark really is like, who's going to play as a nine now that we know that Katoto obviously didn't make it, that Casperino is also out. Do you put Diani as a nine like she did for PSG and she did really well. She scored a lot of goals in the domestic season, potentially, but you also could do with a maybe wider, maybe a little bit deeper. So it'd be interesting to see. He's got two friendlies. He's got a lot of training sessions to go through that and to figure it out. But yeah, I think to go back to your question, I think the, the idea is the intensity, the high defensive line, taking risks. I think this is the kind of guy he is. And with Diak, at times we felt like there was not enough there in terms of taking risks, in terms of movement in general. It was just a little bit too... Um, standard and a little bit too, for my liking, certainly too frozen in a way. My question is, how long does Hervé have to prove himself? Because Karim had too long, uh, I think, in most yeah. people's opinion, um, and didn't prove much. But um, for him, like, is the time ticking away because I suppose in Australia we've had a, a, an experience with Tony Gustafsson where it took a little while to see the results but it, it feels like fingers crossed that it's paid off mm. and we've trusted in that process but yeah for is is he likely to just be able to stay there a la Karun if he's got the right backing higher up or is there expectation yeah. that he gets results and that we don't repeat the mistakes that were seen under Diaka? So this one is almost a uh... So this one is a bonus for him, considering how, how late he came in this in this walker process. So we said before that semi-final was the objective, and that's, I think that's a fair one. Even if he comes short, and maybe let's say quarterfinals at least, it'd still be okay because I think you could always look at it in the sense that we didn't have that much time to to really get into it. So we would look at the next competition, or certainly the next two after that. What's interesting, I think, and what's important for him is that he's also arrived when the head of the national Federation has changed. So Noel Legret, this old granddad, completely out of his, out, out of his, out of touch with the current world, current football, etc. We're not going to go back on all the controversy, but he's gone. So Philippe Diallo is not in. This, this is all new for Philippe Diallo. I think if Legret has been there, maybe there would be more pressure because Legret is this old school guy that that would been there, done it before, known, etc., etc. Diallo is new. Ronaldo is new. They kind of in, into this together. Like Diallo, for example, is going to be with the girls the whole time, the whole competition, which is really rare. We've never seen that before, really, men or women. Usually you come maybe for a game there, maybe you some stay for the group stage, but not the, not the, not the head of the FA, and then he comes maybe from the, the knockout, knockout games, which are the most important. Diallo is really involved, and I think Diallo and Ronaldo like each other, and I think Ronaldo, who's really smart and, you know, understands all the dynamics really, really well, knows that it's a good thing for him to have Diallo on his side. This is new for Diallo. This is his first, obviously, competition again, men or women together. I mean, there's the under 21 Euros right now, but, but this is a big, you know, his first big competition. So it's a very important one for Diallo. So all of that is, all of that is good for Renard, I think, to, to answer your question fully in the perspective of how long does he have, because he can get this one wrong and it will be okay. The one after different is the Olympics, for, for example, which I think is a big part of why he came and why he wanted the job so badly, because this is this, it's a dream, I think, for a lot of people, players, managers, to be part of the Olympics, even Kylian Mbappe. So, you know, like this is this is big for him. So this is this will be the next one. So this one, it can have a pass if things don't work out. 
and Diallo will give him that time. After after this one, then I think things will get a bit more serious in terms of pressure and expectations. But I think he will get time. And the girls like him. Diallo likes him. The media, he's got us in his pocket because of all that positive vibes and energy that he's already brought. So I think he, he will have some time. You say the media, the girls, uh, the federation, they'll give him some time. But the fans of French women's football, surely they're burning for a win. Will they be giving him time? I don't know. Or is it Why? a positive vibe? They're no, just like, it's not Corinne. Thank goodness. I think it would depend on the style of football as well. You know, you lose to the, in the semi-final listen to Australia, just because I like you guys, which is fine. And then let's say you finish third or even if you lose the little final. But but if you've played nicely, you know, if you if you give something, I've been jacked for too long. One, you could not go past the quarterfinals, and two, the football was dire for most of the time. So I think the co- the combination of that plus the, the the issues with with our own players, which we all knew and we all reported, and so the fans were well off. It was just too much, you know. I think with him, or he will have the support of the the team to a certain extent, of course because of everything that we've just explained. So I think the fans would be on board. The fans are already on board. But you're right, the style of football would be important and, and the results as well. But again, I think for this one, he's okay. And which is a good thing for him as well, because the pressure, even if he says, no, 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 there's a lot of pressure because I'm France, yeah, this is BS. There's not, there's not really any pressure. When you look at the Olympics in Paris the following year, that would be different. The pressure would be huge. And then I think he would be more judged by the fans, including by the fans, more onto the Olympics than onto the sun. There's a big conversation happening in Australia at the moment in terms of the legacy that this Women's World Cup is going to have for women's football across the country. And a lot of it hinges on basically how well the Matildas are going to do. There's a sort of assumption that if they bomb out in the group stages, if they play really badly, that the legacy of the tournament is going to be a bit less than what it could have been. Looking back at 2019, where France hosted the tournament and they did get to the quarterfinal and then they lost to the USA, how connected do you think their results were to the legacy that that tournament left on the women's game in France? I would, I, I think, again, it's a really good debate. I, for me, it was 50-50. You know, we were there and it was amazing. Even after France were knocked out, it was still amazing. The other quarterfinals, the rest of the competition, People were there in the stadiums. The, the, the vibe was great. And I think so was LA, the home team does well, of course, and captivate even more the country and all the stories. It's great. And especially for teams who have never won it, like us, for example. And for the US, it's, it's a little bit different because they're so used to winning. But for us, it would have been even better. However, you still saw the legacy to it the following season. And, and now, which I think is it's not just with France, it's a problem in women's women's football to get the momentum to keep the momentum going and build on on competitions like like these ones then it kind of fell a little bit but we still had a really good season in France with people coming to stadium especially the big games in the Champions League and all of that so I would say yes it matters a lot how well your the home team does but certainly for us four years ago it felt like the even when France were out that the the competition was still that the people in France were still so keen on. After that, we saw a big peak in girls joining football teams all around the country. So it didn't just matter so much that France didn't win really and send quite early or early-ish, because after that, we saw, we saw a big difference 
like pre post World Cup to pre World Cup. Julian, a uh, question because not all our listeners will be, as I said, across French football. We know there's some big names out with injuries. Who are the players to watch? Who should the people that are listening to this be looking out for? Who's your, I guess, your predictions to maybe even break out or star for France at this tournament? Yeah, I mean, for me, the one really is Jenny. We mentioned her a little bit before. She had an amazing season in France with PhD domestically. And the lack of number nine, the Katoto injury, Katoto is probably our. I think arguably our best player overall. She just not fit. She she had a terrible injury, and Jenny had to step up and play as a nine or as a force nine, even if you want to let's say as a striker for PSG to replace Katoto for most of the season. And the same with the national team. Instead of playing wide, where I think she has more of a bearing, I think she she prefers anyway maybe playing wide. But she did so amazingly well in a difficult context. Let's not forget for everything that happened at PSG off the field, and then even on the field as well. She did incredibly well. So for me, she's going to be the one. And I think Renard, he, he needs her. He knows that he needs her our best. He needs her to deliver in that position. The rest, is very solid defensively in midfields. I think we miss Cascarino too, and, and the pace and what she brings technically. But Jenny is the key. I think she is the key. I think she knows it. I think she's got the maturity now to to take that role and that lead and say, like, you know what, I, I, I want to be the leader. She was one of the, the key players to get Diak out. Uh, and and I like that about her. She's, she's I was born in Britain. She's got a character, she's got a character, that temper. She's fiery, she's, she's strong, she's a strong character. So, yeah, for me, she's the key. So how are you looking at your group, Julian? Because I think back to 2019 and that game between France and Brazil was maybe one of the best games of the entire tournament. It was so thrilling to watch France and to hear France. I remember sitting in my apartment in Paris, listening to my entire neighbourhood watching that game when France got through. It was extraordinary. Are you really gunning on like focusing on that game in the group as the one that will sort of determine who finishes first and second. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, no offense to Panama and Jamaica. I think, I think this France and Brazil will win those two games. So it's all about that second game in the group against Brazil. I have to say, before watching the finalissima against England, I was quite confident. I saw them and I thought they were outstanding in that game, especially in that second half. And I won't lie, I'm not too optimistic now. I just think they, they've got a really good generation. They, they clearly they have some momentum going and and I think they could be really good. And and where we are still at the beginning of the Ona era, not really sure exactly how we're going to play. And, and, you know, we will have two more friendlies to see, but I just think that they will be more ready than us. And I, yeah, I think they might be just better than us on that night. So, we will see. I'm really looking forward to being at that game and to watching that in the stadium and, and see how the girls feel before, the couple of days before. But yeah, I, I think Brazil will, it feels like that game against England, even psychologically, I know they ended up losing it, but that goal, taking it to extra, they, they showed so much in that second half that I think they, they maybe right now have more certainties than what we do in terms of what we can play on the pitch, what we can do on the pitch and how we can play. And for that, I think they, they should be slight favourite in the league. Do you have the answers for Dabinia? I know you talked before about Renard not necessarily having that much pace, and she is wow. clearly a star. She like, she gets the better of us when we play her as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that would be, do you play a high line against Brazil? Can you play a high line against Brazil? How do you play? How do you disturb the, the, the passing game, for example? Yeah, there's a lot of question marks. And in a way, I'm glad this is not the first game in the group because I think that could have been terrible. At least it's, it's the second game. You would have been there. You would have played once already. Hopefully you would have won. You would have played well. You would have that kind of stuff. And then you can focus on that game. Would you take a draw? Every time I think, really. I know it's a bit early to say that, but, but, but yeah, I think, I think they might be happy. So obviously we can't talk about the World Cup without talking about who is your tip to win. Uh, I just want to come back on the show. I said Australia. Uh, I, I just more seriously, I think that the home support is going to be amazing, really. And I saw it four years ago with France. It's just that the US were, were strong and we, I think we were too nervous maybe. And that's the thing as well that you have to deal with when you're the home team. However, I, I, I think Australia have a lot going for them. At the US, I see the squad and they announced the roster not that long ago. And I see some issues in the squad. I'm not mm-hmm. sure about, I think there are 12 players over 30, for example. That's great for experience. I'm not sure this World Cup is going to be won only by experience. And they also have some injuries, some, some bad ones. Um, Spain, I'm not too sure, really, uh, because I'm not too sure about Puteas. I'm not too sure about some fitness. I'm not too sure about, again, the relationship between the head coach and the, and the squads. Germany, I saw Wolfsburg, also the Champions League, uh, for example. And I think they, they have something. But for me, Australia, simply because of because you are home and because of uh, I, I would go for you guys. Look out July 14 then. We're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. We can't wait to talk to you a little bit later during the tournament. Just quickly, where can people find your work during the World Cup? Yeah, so I'll be with you, uh, part of the ESPN team that covers the competition, uh, gaining there for the Brazil game. So really looking forward to that. On the website, of course, we've got to do a lot on the TFC show, on all the podcasts that we have, including the one I've got with Damakoti. So all of that, you can find me on social media. It's pretty easy. Uh, but yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to, um, to coming to Australia. We can't wait. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today and thank you for tuning in. As we said, we've got so many Women's World Cup previews coming. We've had a whole bunch already released, so go check them out and we will be covering the last couple of groups over the next week or so. As always, though, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're over on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual pod spots. If you like what we do, leave a review and subscribe. Otherwise, if you want to chat to us, we're at The Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see you.